Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit because that's what health means. This is Jerry Oldman coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory to talk to you about social colonial history in this podcast. Social colonial history in regards to the indigenous peoples of this land, the Aboriginal people. The word Aboriginal means since the beginning. We know we've been here since the beginning. So I come here today, I'm here today to talk about that social colonial history. Quite a few years of my life now have been about dealing with the impacts of social colonial history. Social means how We live together. How we distribute wealth in our society. How we form different businesses and how we conduct business. How we live together as a people, that society. How the individual is with the group that's being social. If we're a social problem, we step out of the circle because we're not in sync with the circle. So if we look at Canadian society as a big circle, where do we fit in that circle as Indigenous people? Well, we know today that we were not part of that circle. In effect, 
we were put onto Indian reservations, which means lands reserved for Indians. And there were small plots of land in Canada. And law, many of the reservations are on the least desirable parts of land in Canada. If we lived by the lakes, they put the reservation away from the lake. We did not have a lot of our reserves near good running water. And actually, we lived before contact, where there's everything we need. So when we look at social colonial history, at its very beginning, when there was a society here, because before that there were the only colonial governors here, you know, they came and they built the forts. At Fort St. John, Fort St. James, there's a Fort Victoria, and, you know, and Quantlin, there's a fort there, you know, and there's, they built these forts. And after that, then they started to bring in the people to occupy the land. And to do that, they pushed us off the land and put us on reservations. And of course, that had an impact on us. I remember in the 70s, I started to learn there's this word that I heard in the air, and it was genocide. So, of course, I'm, I learned to be hungry to know the meaning of words at a certain part of my life when I come to after I quit drinking. So I looked up the word genocide, and I found out that genos is a Greek word it means a race or a tribe. And that side is a Latin word which means killer. So genocide actually means a tribal killer, someone that's intent to kill the tribe. And we know in BC that happened here. There was genocidal thoughts in some of these colonial people because they were distributing blankets with smallpox on it. And smallpox can become a plague and it can kill. My elders told me that happened in our territory, Statlium Territory. That there were people that actually conspired to destroy my people. And that when I found that out, I said to myself, it can't be so. Who would want to do that? You know, who, who? I found out later that it was true. And it took me many years to understand that there were a few people thinking like this. It wasn't the whole mass of them that wanted to destroy the people, to destroy our identity, that they targeted our languages, they targeted our spiritual practices. It's what they call cultural genocide today. It means you're going to kill the culture. 
And you think about it today, one of those impacts is how many people are fluent in their own mother tongue? That it's growing again, and I'm glad to see that. That people are concentrating on this and refusing to let it die, that we have people like this. Elders today that are fluent, that they don't want to leave without leaving the language behind. I'm so proud of those ones. They're very resilient. And we, we just need to look at our names today. You know, we're carrying names from the Bible or from Europe. For instance, my name, Gerald, means spear thrower. And I don't know which language it comes from, but I found out that's what it means. I know people, their last name is James. And, they just, and I heard that those names, they were giving people names from the Bible because they wanted to destroy our names. They didn't want us to have an identity. They wanted us to forget who we were, and they wanted us to become part of them, which is an oxymoron when you look at how it all unfolded. Because they, we, if they wanted to assimilate us, they would have took us in. And we would have worked at the jobs they had. We would have had a share of the gold, all of the resources, everything that people, you know, live a comfortable life with in Canada today. We would have been right with them if we were truly assimilated. But we weren't. It was an apartheid. We were put onto small reservations. So there was no intent to really assimilate us. In a sense, they did, because we're speaking English today. Many became Christians. We left our own spirituality, our language, our names. And that's an indicator that this impact of this social colonial history on us and we need to look at that and understand that so that we can change today, so that we don't get trapped in negativity. I was chanting a song at the, end, at the start of this podcast, and it was about the protection against negativity. You know that um, this genocide that was at the front end of what happened in Canada you know, it was intentional. And I, you know, part of that was those smallpox blankets. When that failed, because it failed, because we're here today, they started to use other methods because they couldn't get rid of us. Those early people, remember these were a few evil people at the beginning. I want to keep saying this over and over in this podcast that we must not generalize, that we must call a spade a spade and say there were evil ones that come here and they were ones that are doing that. That many of the other immigrants that came here were simply looking for a good way of life because they were oppressed in their own country too. So, when we look at this, there were massacres there was starvation 
amongst our people. And today, you think about the number of communities that don't have good drinking water. That's part of the social colonial history of Canada. And there's commitments to change that by the current government. And they're working at it. But it's 2019, and we're talking about the 1800s, when you talk about social colonial history. There were different kinds of genocide, I found out. You know that um, part of genocide was to serve economic development for the ones that come here. When they see in the resources, those first colonizers, they were sent out to look for those resources. The royals in Europe were sending out people to look for a new territory and to set up colonies so they can get wealth by getting those resources, like gold, for instance or precious stones and metals, or silk, or tea, or tobacco. You know, they were wanting that for themselves. So they'd send out these people to find it. So that's developmental genocide. You go there and you take over. You take it all. And of course, the reason why it happened is because in history they say 80% of our people didn't even see Europeans and they were dying from smallpox and other diseases. When I understood that, then I knew why we didn't have stronger immigration laws or extreme vetting because our people were in shock from losing so many just from a plague of smallpox. And after that, there were things like the flu and different diseases that we never had before. All of a sudden, started to spread in our communities. Tuberculosis, you know, diabetes today. Our people were hit by the impacts of social colonial history. So there was that kind of... Uh, genocide and when our people were going through this what happens is you get into survival mode it's all about survival because this deliberate acts I imagined one day in my imagination, because we all have big imagination. I imagined my ancestors, the shock of looking at someone and imagining that these people, if they could, that some of these people, you could see it in their body language, in their eyes, that they would kill them if they could, that they'd wipe them out. And I, and I imagine that must have been fearful 
were my ancestors. So they'd done what they could to survive. That uh, impact of this social colonial history on them to sacrifice in order to survive happened. Today I'm glad they did because we're here today. And when they retreated into the reservations, they maintained the language bodies of our people and the ceremony in our old ways, our way of life. It's not old way, it's our way. There are people that maintain that in every community. To me, those are the true warriors of our society today. They refuse to let the language die. They refuse to let the ceremonies disappear. Those, to me, are our national treasures today. And we must treat them as such. They maintain our old teachings. And I think about my grand, late grandmother. Feed anybody that crosses over her threshold of her house into her home. She would feed them, following her teachings and traditions. Refusing to let that die. I would go visit my granny sometimes and she would have hardly any food and I'd go buy her food. Because she would do this. Anybody who visits, she would feed them. She was Statlium 24-7. So, you know, this social colonial history has left its footprint on us. And we must, for our own good, for our own health and well-being, understand, or I knew this for my own health and well-being, because I became very unhealthy, and I, all, I started to know and to believe that our way was a good way, and that we must reverse that assimilation and assimilate those ones into some of our ways of thinking. Like looking after Mother Earth, for instance. That was our way. We were green people to the core, you know, before contact. Nothing was going extinct when we were here by ourselves. I remember, it must have been in 1978 or 79, this elder telling us young people, I want you to go work with the white people. In my mind, I was standing by that fire because these elders were teaching us. And my thoughts were, why, why should we do that? I don't want to do that. Why should I help them? And the elder, it's just like the elder can read my mind. And he says, I'm going to tell you why. Why I want you to work with those white people. And he says... It's because they have the gift of movement, those European people. They're not afraid to pull up roots and to move. Look, they came here. 
they went to Hawaii, they went to New Zealand, you know, they, they, they've been all over the world. And he says they've even gone to the moon. <laughs> so they're fearless travelers, they move. And he says that's why we must work with them, because as indigenous people we have the gift of vision. We can see what will happen if we overfish, overhunt, or we do things that's going to harm the future. Our people thought in generations, not fiscal years or five-year plans. We thought in generations we'd never see. And that's what we must bring to this people today for our own good and for the good of this planet. I've been thinking long and hard about this podcast because genocide is a cruel topic. You know, to be a tribal killer, to know that there were individuals that thought this way. My hope is that you listening to this will latch on to individuals who are thinking this way. Don't generalize and think that they were all that way. All those ones that come from Europe to here, because there's millions of them, come here. I would say the majority of them were looking for a good way of life, a better way of life. And it's sad the way it happened. I don't like it. I don't like that social colonial history of where it seems to me Canada, part of Canada was built in the backs of children because of the residential school. I don't like that thought. And I know today, after working for years in the human service field, that many Canadians are totally ignorant of what happened to us as a people. They were never told. It was a secret. Because look at 1995 when the residential school court cases started to come to be and start, people started to see what happened in those places. You see, it was the evil ones that hurt us. And the other ones, sure, they benefit because we're living on a reserve and they have access to the resources. That's true. But for the good of this planet, of the future, we must start to wrap our head around, our mind around the thought that we're going to work together. And to do that, we need to start to, first off, to heal ourselves. In part of my life, when I was in developmental stage, early developmental stage of being a human service worker, actually a servant for the people, because that's what I see myself as today, I'm here for the people. I used to be depressed about the state of what I'd seen going on around me, the addictions and the violence and the poverty and the racism. And I would think there's no hope for change. And one of my teachers, 
after I'm explaining myself in my depression in a circle. He says to me, Jerry, I want you to know that you by yourself cannot change society, but you can change yourself. And that was what I needed to hear at that moment. And I have come now to understand that if I change myself, then I help other people change. Then when there's enough of us that think the same way, then we can make social change together. That that's what it's going to take, us changing one by one. And I know that's happening. I'm working with people today that have the same goals, that have the same understanding of the social colonial history, and have made a commitment that it's not going to own them, it's not going to immobilize them because of anger or fear or depression, but that we're going to carry on. We're going to work together to see what we can do for the children. Today I'm wearing a shirt in the studio. It's got a picture of Sitting Bull in the front. And he's one of my heroes because of one of the statements I, I heard that he'd said. And he says, let's put our minds together to see what we can do for the children. As soon as I heard that, I kept that thought in my head because he's a philosopher, an indigenous philosopher, because a philosopher is someone who lays guiding thoughts at your feet on how to live. I've embraced that guiding thought from Sitting Bull. Let's put our minds together to see what we can do for the children. That's what we must do. It's for the children and their children and their children's children. You know, our feelings that we carry becomes our behavior. That's how we behave. So if we're angry all the time, if our feelings are, are if we're consumed by anger, that's how we're going to behave with each other. And that's not a good place. Because our, our children will see that in our eyes, in our clenched fist, in our mean voice. That's a bitter anger. There's one that we need to do, and that's righteous anger. About rights, our rights to be human, our rights to be part of this circle. That's righteous anger. It's about fairness and justice. The word justice means absolute fairness for all. We must help Canada to be a just society because it started out wrong for us. It wasn't just. There were two levels of justice. All of us cannot deny that. Canadians cannot. We cannot. When there was laws that were racist laws, you know, those had their impact. That's what social colonial history is. That's the negative part of it is a racist part of it. We, all of us, must accept that this happened.
and say it's never going to happen again to anyone in Canada. Never. We must not become like the oppressors. Yes, we have been oppressed. My example today, someone that I want to be like, is my late father. I never hear him say one nasty word about white people. Never. He went to war in Europe in the Second World War to fight against Nazism. He put his life on the line. When he came home, he'd celebrate November 11th every year. Not celebrate it, acknowledge it. He'd buy poppies. He'd wear them. And I used to wonder why my dad would do this. Because I seen him. He came home from the war and then I was born, you know, and I'd seen him arrested by RCMP because of a racist law. There was a law in Canada where indigenous people could not be in the presence of alcohol or buy alcohol or drink alcohol. It was against the law. In the presence of alcohol. That means there'd be alcohol sitting beside you and you can be arrested. My father was arrested. He picked up a hitchhiker with a case of beer, a white guy. And he said to the guy, put your beer in the trunk of my car. And we got on and we're traveling not too far and RCMP pulled us over. I said to my father, open the trunk of your car. My dad opened the trunk. Oh, there's beer in your car. I'm going to have to arrest you. My late father says, that's not my beer. White guy saying, it's my beer, officer. No, you're in the presence of alcohol. I have to arrest you. So I watch him cuff my dad, handcuff his hands behind his back, put him in the car and take him. And my dad still didn't have anything negative to say when he come back. He still celebrated or acknowledged November 11th. And I realized that he wasn't brothers in arms with these other Canadians that were fighting Nazism. He refused to become like the racist. My dad was always on the high road. He wouldn't stoop to the level of hate and feelings that would hurt him. That's one of my heroes today is my dad, my late father. He refused to buckle under social colonial history. I have many examples like that. Elders that refused to become oppressive or even defensive or to be absorbed with hate and anger but just maintained themselves, spoke their language, done their ceremonies, took care of us. My dad took care of me. And the worst parts of my life was when they put me in a residential school. My dad, you know, didn't give up on me. 
he maintained. And I keep saying this, he refused to buckle under the social colonial history. He maintained himself. So we need to look for those. Remember those examples of people living with high moral codes, principles, and concentrate on their life. That's a message I wanted to give today, that we all concentrate on our success, regardless of what's in front of us or what tries to stop us. We be true indigenous and never give up. I'm living in Brandon, Manitoba now. Two weeks ago, it's negative 42 there, with a wind chill over 50 degrees below zero. And I went to college there to talk to students, and I was telling them, I want to acknowledge the people that were here from the beginning in my language called Uchul Miuch, that means our original people from this part of the earth. I said, I have huge respect for them because they were living on this land for thousands of years and negative 50 was nothing to them. <laughs> they were happy living here and it didn't matter the temperature. I said, they laugh in the face of negative 50. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I said that and I see the indigenous students in the class smiling because they know it's true. And those people, I have huge respect for them. To live in harmony in the land. To be healthy. Then, of course, I see the impacts of social colonial history in the prairies. But I meet elders there that I know they haven't buckled under this. They refuse to. And that's what we, the path we all, I believe, we all must take. I used to wish all the Europeans would go home. When we're here by ourselves, we're okay. That's what I'd say in my head. And I realized nobody's going home. Nobody's going back to Europe. So I must work with everyone for a good life for all of us. I realized that, and I started to live that way. I'll be honest with you, I still feel the unfairness. I still feel resentful at times when I see poverty. But I know I cannot get stuck there. My dad didn't. My grandparents never. And I must not. Because I, I got consumed by anger and hate. And I find out that I have Irish blood in me. And some Spanish blood. And I think about my ancestors. And I say, what right do I have to criticize them? They're a human being, just like me. Then we get into relationships with other people, because we're all people. So, my wishes 
that we heal ourselves. You know, and I read this man saying that when the oppressed heal, the oppressor has a chance to heal too. And he even goes as far to say that's going to be the only way. And I tend to believe that man, his name is Pella Freer. You know, that's what we're going to do. We're going to help those people heal. And I remember that elder around this campfire telling us, you must go work with those white people because they become reckless in their movement at times and they need the voice of reason. And that's us as indigenous people. <laughs> this elder recognized that, that we have the gift of vision. And he was probably taught that. I shouldn't say he recognized it. He was probably, that's the old teaching, you know, that we have the gift of vision. We know what can happen if we get silly or crazy. So there is a road to change. And I encourage all of you to get on that road. And the first step is to heal yourself. And if you have a hard time to heal yourself, don't be afraid to go ask for help for healing. And also I want you to know it's out there. Don't give up. You go look for healing and someone says to help you and it doesn't work, go find somebody else. Just become relentless in this. All of you are precious out there. You're alive for a reason. So you go out and you find help. And then you start to help others. I believe that's one of our biggest gifts with vision is that we're generous people. We'll help people without. We'll help people that are in trouble. It's in our nature. This topic today of social colonial history has kept me up at night because I don't want to give a wrong message that I caved under. In my view, they haven't won. In my view, they're suffering too. That Canadians are suffering. That they're losing their way. At times losing their humanity. Their families. And that we have remnants of that some pretty strong ones too. Because like I say, that we have these resilient people that just refuse to let social colonial history beat them. That's, that is to be our role model. The good people. The ones that refuse to break. And we can be like that too. We can break this so our children 
and our children's children will reach our potential. And it doesn't matter what's going on around them. They refuse to break. That's going to be a good day. Like my cousin told me, he would see me and, and I'm worried. And he says, Jerry, I want you to quit being a worrier. I want you to be a warrior from this day on. <laughs> and I remember those words. My relative's name is Walemaltuch. And he's the one that told me. So I said, okay, I'm going to be a warrior. Sometimes it's a word warrior. <laughs> you know, help people with words. You know, go stand with people that are fighting a good fight. You know, and that's what will help our healing too when we start to help others. I understood that after I sobered up and started to heal. I started to understand that part of my healing is when I help other people. And that's one that was my anchor. Stop me from slipping back into the old way, old negative ways of my life. And realized I can make a difference. I can help people. And when I do that, they'll help me. So we go back to the ways of our people, being careful with our words. Reach out, help people, gift people, be true to ourselves, be true to others, because that was our way. Our word was as good as gold. We were sincere with our words. We were taught to be. That's my belief. I read a lot, I read other cultures, and I read books on Buddhism, and one of the books I read was about what Buddha said as he was dying. And he says, above all, be sincere. And I was thinking, hey, that's cool, because I heard elders say that to me. <laughs> you know, my elders say, be sincere, be careful. So, I just want to thank you for listening to this. I certainly hope that, it's my hope, that there be sense in this for you. One of the statements I heard or read was that all of us as human beings must lose our mind and come to our senses. And that can be part of our way out, reviving old values, become in charge of our life, take care of our families and our community. And we must realize that how we're feeling controls our behavior. So when we're feeling positive and upbeat, that's how we're going to behave. 
we're angry, that's how we're going to behave. So we must realize that. And when we become proud of our identity and release negative energy and share positive energy, that's going to be a good day for ourselves and our families. And we start to understand that immoral, wrong behavior, the community feels that. That means us as a group. We do affect the group. So that's good enough reason for us to start to work on ourselves. You know, when we understand that our beliefs, what we believe, and our values, what's valuable to us, and our attitude, that means we're the way we're thinking. You know, that we start to change it if it's negative, change it to positive, and be consistent. And then it's going to be good for us and for the ones that share life with us. Because people are not born to be negative, to have prejudice, to have these mean emotions. We're not born to be that, none of us. So let's step on the road to change and wellness. Remember, wellness is an act of pursuit of being healthy. And not let post-colonial history, social history, own us. But that we learn from it. And we make a commitment. We're going to leave that. And we're going to grow and prosper. And... We're going to become self-reliant and become social justice people, all of us. So I want to thank you for listening to this, and um, don't want to start repeating myself. <laughs> and I wish you the best on your journey. You know, and I encourage you to to look at social colonial history, but don't get stuck there. Go behind that. What's behind that? That's our history and how we were. And start to pick up those teachings and share them. So I'm going to sign off now and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Remember, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and our web page, teachingsintheair.ca. You know, I encourage you to go there and leave comments and reach out and share. That's how we're going to beat all of this stuff that's negative for us, by sharing good thoughts with each other, teachings, stories of success. That's what teachingsintheair.ca is all about, empowerment, positive empowerment, personal growth and development, healing, success. That's what it's about, so... Please go there and please share with the other brothers and sisters in this country this road to change. Thank you. <laughs>